Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. I'm glad to have all of you with us for today's Political Rewind. I am Bill Nygut, and uh, it's a real pleasure to have you uh, here. This is a, a, a kind of an extraordinary day for a number of reasons. Um, number one, of course, we are uh, in the next couple of minutes, the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court will be taking the oath to oversee the um, impeachment trial of President Trump. And as soon as he does that, he will then turn and, and administer the oath to the members of the Senate, uh, calling upon them to be uh, impartial jurors as the trial commences. So that that's, that's a, whether you're on the Trump side of this or on the other side of this, it is nevertheless a historic day. And we had an important event, of course, in the state of Georgia this morning as well, uh, Governor Brian Kemp gave his second State of the State address, and we're going to spend a good amount of time talking about that as the show goes on. So, all that said, let me introduce our panel today. Um, Tamar Hellerman, AJC senior reporter, is with us, as you will be on uh, most Thursdays from now on, which I'm delighted about, uh, And in person, not just a voice over the telephone from D.C. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's really good to have. How are you? doing getting it settled in Atlanta? These winter days are spoiling me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was in Michigan last weekend, freezing my buns off and just thinking, no, a month in Atlanta and I'm ruined. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, we're also joined by Representative Terry Anulowitz. Um Terry represents, she's Democrat, represents Smyrna, little piece of Marietta above uh, Dobbins Field, yes, I think. Above right? Dobbins. Do Dobbins I have that is right? the heart of the district. And we're welcoming to this show, although he has been on uh, Lawmakers more times than I can count, uh, <laughs> Representative Terry Rogers. Representative Rogers is one of Brian Kemp's floor leaders. Uh, he's in the House. And uh, you have a really interesting history. And because you're here for the first time, I just want to mention a couple pieces of it. Your great, 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 great grandfather was a member of Oglethorpe's 42nd Ranger Militia. Wow. Yeah. Did not discover that until probably eight or nine years ago. So you so. go back quite a ways. <laughs> yeah. We didn't fight together, but yes. <laughs> you represent, uh, you're in Clarksville. You represent White and Habersham County. Right. I have uh, the majority of Habersham and a little bit of White. So. Um, before we keep going, um, let me ask the guys in the control room. I'm apparently one of the, the uh, uh, outlets is open, and I'm not hearing sound in my headphones. I'm hearing sound from the control room. So if you all can fix that. I would really like to be able to hear what our panelists have to say today. Um, just again, to tell you what's going on, we're, we've got a feed of the Senate, U.S. Senate, uh, in, in, uh, in our studio right now. And um, Mitch McConnell, it appears, is now standing up along with all of the members of the Senate. And uh, here comes, I guess, the, the uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Yeah. There's John Roberts walking in. He's about to be uh, sworn in. Sworn Who in swears by, him in? This is Chuck Grassley behind the, the desk. He's the, the president pro tempore, the most senior member of the Senate. So this is his, uh, or I don't know if it's a constitutional duty, but his part of his, his duties in that position. So he's swearing in the chief justice now, who's wearing his robes that you see him in every day at the Supreme Court. He's swearing Roberts in. After that's completed, then Roberts will swear in all of the senators as jurors, mm -hmm. impartial jurors. And then after that, he's going to bring them up in groups of four. And they're actually going to be signing a book where they take a similar oath as well. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, the trial itself tomorrow will not start until next Tuesday, we, we understand. Exactly. And, and Majority Leader McConnell has talked about how it will be in earnest. And in the meantime, they're still doing things like rules and, and kind of figuring out 
um, kind of the early rules of the road. We might not know about whether they're going to bring in witnesses for and against the White House until a little later. That's still, yeah. they have not come to an agreement on that. Yeah, but we do expect the trial is going to run at least a couple of weeks, if not longer. I think each side has 24 hours divided up over a period of like the, five days. Well, no, that's what that that's what happened during the Clinton impeachment back in 98. And that's what Majority Leader McConnell has he mentioned. He said that's what he wants as a model. Sure. You, you read what the White House wants, and, and they're saying they hope this trial will be done with within two weeks. Right. Clinton apparently was a little more than a month, right. and Andrew Jackson was about 11 weeks. So who knows? But it's sounding like the White House and its allies want a very, very quick trial. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go down the uh, impeachment rabbit hole because I know how quickly we can get completely uh, carried away with that. But, but Terry Rogers, it, it, let me say that um, I know that many, many Republicans think that this trial uh, should not even have been held in the – it should not be – uh, going on in the first place. You were in session this morning, so you probably didn't get to see it. But when when the uh, managers for the House came into the Senate and Adam Schiff stood up and read the impeachment articles, uh, it was it was a moment of some gravitas that suddenly made you realize whether you want this to happen or not, this is really Unfolding, and it's only the third time in American history it's happened. Yeah, I think it's important. I, you know, no matter what side of the fence you may be on, there's a part of you as an American going, "Oh man, this this should not happen." I, I'm going to really show my age here. I grew up in a military family. Um, I remember when President Nixon resigned, and um, you know, we were sitting there, and I can remember the look on my dad's face. And he said, you know, I don't know what happened here. I'm not involved in politics, obviously. I got it from somewhere else. But he says, this, this, just, this just kills me. He said, you know, a World War II veteran, I, he was a World War II veteran, a Korean veteran, a Vietnam veteran. And he said, this, this is not what my country is all about right here. Yeah. This, this should not be happening. And he, you could see the look on his face that he was sad. And I think that's sort of something that always resonated with me. And I, I see this whether whether you like it, you don't like it, or whatever. There's a lot of there's a lot of nastiness on both sides, but the reality of it is, this is not a good thing for America. Yeah, um, I'm like you. I remember the Nixon uh, resignation and the hearings leading up to it uh, very, very well. I was already a young adult in Chicago. I spent a year in Washington, living in a hotel, covering the Clinton impeachment back in uh, 1988. And uh, and so for me, it's like, uh, here we go again. It's really quite yeah. a, a thing to watch. Yeah. Terry Inolowitz, um the gravitas of this is really striking now that it's actually happening. It is. And I am not old enough to remember Nixon's resignation, but I have gone and watched Barbara Jordan's speech mm -hmm. that she gave during those hearings. And I would encourage people to go and revisit that speech because it is very compelling with the with how she describes the gravitas, describes what what it exactly it means for America, no matter what side of the fence you're on with this. This is something that we've only done a couple of times before in our entire history, and we can't forget that. We can't forget the gravity and the hopefully rareness of, of what it is that that's going to be taking place in Washington, D.C. over the next few weeks. And for me, as somebody who's been on Capitol Hill for the last 10 years, you know, you get really jaded and pessimistic. And even just the rhetoric during this impeachment fight, it just felt like nothing mattered. And it was such a circus. But then, you know, watching this earlier today, watching the chief justice come in and take the oath, watching the, you know, sergeant in arms march the seven impeachment managers onto the floor at noon, all the senators seeing them sitting at their desks, which was a rare sight yeah. on Capitol Hill. I mean, it's a it's a big moment. And, yeah. um, you know, as this trial unfolds, you're going to see all these senators, first of all, forced to sit at their desks all day for hours on end. <laughs> they are not allowed to talk. They are not allowed to use their phones. That is not something. No electronic. Right? They can't have their iPads. They can't have their phones. Exactly. They can't have their laptops. It's so old school. And it really is just such a phenomenal scene to, to see. <laughs> uh, while we're talking about that, there is another interesting development that apparently Mitch McConnell put in place along with uh, 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 members of the Senate um, Oversight Committee, he there's going to be a new metal detector uh, from the press room of the Senate to the uh, chamber, the gallery, where reporters typically uh, watch the activity on the floor. 
And they're putting it in place. Reporters are going to have to go through that before they can come into the gallery. They say it's it, – and there's no reason to doubt them. They don't want reporters coming in with recording devices because that's illegal as well. But it's just a layer of security. You already know how your colleague, your former colleagues up there are going to react to that. And I can talk to you about that stuff all day. I was on the panel that helped uh, deal with senators whenever we had press access issues. And just in general, mobility is very limited for reporters. Now, as this is going on, and it's very hard to go up and walk to senator, or walk up and talk to a senator like we normally would. Right. Um, but this makes it just that much harder. And now, you know, like you mentioned, you can't bring computers and recorders onto the Senate floor. But it just makes it that much harder if you're one of those 30 reporters kind of watching over the proceedings from the gallery. Um, it makes it that much harder to come in, come out, tweet, send a report, give an email, call your boss, go through the metal detector. Exactly. All right. Uh, all right. Let's turn to the. Big story out of Georgia uh, today. We'll have plenty of time to talk about impeachment in the weeks ahead. And by the way, I, I do want to give again a program note that that I gave a couple times already, but I think it's important for all of you who are listening to the show because the trial, uh, the Trump trial, will start next. We believe next Tuesday, um, and and we also think that McConnell is going to call for it to begin right around noon, go till early evening. That means that we'll be carrying NPR coverage of the trial on uh, GPB Radio. But we want you to be able to hear Political Rewind. So starting next Tuesday, next Monday, we have a special uh, MLK edition of the show. But on Tuesday, we will be back live at 9 a.m. so that you're not going to miss Political Rewind. So I hope many of you can shift over to the 9 o'clock show. All right. Uh, Terry Rogers, you're a floor leader. So I want to start with you and then get Terry Anulowitz into the mix on this. Uh the, the governor's speech today, about 30 minutes, I think, he – I want to talk about a few specific things that I was interested in, but I also want you and, and Terry and Olowitz to weigh in on some of the things that I thought were interesting. So if I may, let me just start with the top of the speech. He went to education first. Right. Uh, he talked about full funding once again this year of the Quality Basic Education Funding Act – uh, which would be the third year in a row. Nathan Deal did it for the first time in decades, right? Uh, in his last year, you all were able to put it uh, fully funded last year, and he says we're going to do it again this year. Let's start with that. Why is that important? Oh, I think it's very important. First of all, um, it was the precedent that was set um, under Governor Deal, and uh, Governor Kemp acknowledged that today. Very, very nice shout out to. Uh, to Governor Deal. It was a and nice touch to have Sandra and Nathan Deal in the gallery. Both of which are constituents of mine, and I had the pleasure of serving as Governor Deal's floor leader for four years. Yeah. But um, yeah, and it was nice to talk with them beforehand or whatever, but a very nice shout out from Governor Kemp to them acknowledging what both of them have meant to education in the state of Georgia, I thought. Uh, I think uh, I think he's right on target. You know, we are fully funded on QBE right now. We do not need to go back. Uh, he realizes the importance of education. Um, two of the things, that, two other things he pointed out: the teacher pay raises that we're going to be looking at, and then the other thing too is the fact that um, you know we put money in for security, we put money in for mental health. So uh, yeah, I think he's committed to. Uh, I think he's committed to the education aspect, and I think it's a great way to start because if you think about it, Brian Kemp very much came off as Brian Kemp today. He's a builder. He's a he's a construction guy, and you've got to lay the foundation. Well, I, I would contend to you that the foundation of a great society starts with this education. So well, that's a great way to start it. He, well, you know, Terry, he, Terry Anulowitz, he did something else today. There was some of us on Political Rewind in, in, in the week leading up to the speech today had questioned whether he, – he promised, of course, during the campaign a $5,000 raise for teachers. Right. You put 3000 all of you voted for a $3,000 raise last year. I think it got a lot of bipartisan support. Um, and there were some people who wondered on this show, will he go for the 2000 this year, a tough budget year, or in fact, might it do him more good to do it in the 21 session since he'll be uh, starting to lead toward uh, uh, re-election? Well, he went for the whole, he took a big bite of the apple today. The $2,000 remaining in his promise is in his agenda, on his agenda. It is. And I think that there are a lot of us in the General Assembly who are wondering, 
if he was going to take that step to to and how he was going to honor that promise. Was he going to make it take to a smaller amount in 2000? It was very clear today. And so while I, I'm very encouraged that education is a priority and that we're sticking to the commitment to keep QBE fully funded. I think going into a budget cycle when there are so many things that we're not very sure about, I think having that clear from the very beginning is going to be a good thing as we as we start the budget process next week. But the you know, the $2,000, I don't know if anyone was, I don't think anyone really knew what to expect. And I know when I, my little, you know, section that I sit around looking at everyone's reactions, and it, it, there were a variety of different Reactions, but I think a lot of us are wondering, okay, how are we going to do this? Well, I think that's a great point, Tamar. You know, here's what I thought, Tamar. This is where Governor Kemp has a little maneuvering to explain to all of us. It's not uh, surprising that he started his speech by talking about how good things are in Georgia right now. Talked about low unemployment. Uh, he uh, uh, talked about. Um, that it's the lowest in in history. Uh, he talked about the state being the number one place for business for the seventh year in a row. He talked about the private sector jobs that have been created in cities around the state. He said all these things that would lead you to then conclude, well, our economy must be very robust. And yet, as he starts this push to get the legislature to go along with the budget, significant budget cuts he wants, it's slightly contradictory message that he has to deal with, including now figuring out how to pay for a $2,000 raise for every teacher in the state. I mean, spool, spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's this issue. Now you have you have $2,000 uh, pay raise for teachers you're trying to get through. I, the, co- the number I've seen, and correct me if I'm wrong, was about $350 million that you guys have to find. You have to right. balance your state budget every year. You, you know, the, the governor's asking to cut 4% from the budget this year, and then you also have slower tax collections. You've yeah. got to find money somewhere. And, yeah. you know, this morning, my, my colleague James Salzer is reporting that, that lawmakers were able to, um, you know, to, to cut a deal on Internet uh, mm-hmm. app sales and, and get some money that way. But I'm sure there's going to be a big hunt now to, to try and find money elsewhere to be able to pay uh, for Terry, it. Terry, how do you how do you square? The, the, you want the message to be positive growth. We're doing great. But, oh, we're still going to ask for an additional 6 percent cut in the in the in the next year fiscal budget. Um, two things. Number one, first of all, uh, He's speaking my language because as I've gone all across my district and done legislative recaps and previews and things of that nature, I'll always start off with, you know, lowest unemployment in Georgia's history, Um, you know, 800,000 new private sector jobs created number one state in the nation for business for seven state years. You know, here's where we are in education. You give them all the good news and you say, here's what we're looking at. You know, we're looking at a 4% cut in the amended budget. We're looking at a 6% cut in the in in the regular budget. People are like, well. If everything's so great, why? And I think it's sort of maybe it's me as, as a guy that majored in history or whatever. Those that forget the past are condemned to repeat it. I look back to 2008 and 2009 and what it was like in my area with a 11% unemployment rate and uh, banks failing and this and that and everything else. And so I think the governor's smart that when he started to see some of the um, – some of the you know, indications the slowing, of a slowdown. The slowing yeah, revenues of a slowdown coming in. Sort of like, let's just go ahead and take a look at this. Let's just go ahead and take a look at this. So it's going to be a challenge. But he's laid the budget out, and then we'll go to work next week in appropriations. But I, I do want to pick up on something that, that uh, Terry said um, when, when she was talking about, you know, didn't know about the $2,000. You know, it was a question I had because uh, there was a third compromise on this thing right here. It's sort of like, okay, you know, if you go back to what he said, he said, I'm going to give a $5,000 pay raise to teachers for, you know, during my first term. Well, he's got another three years. So, you know, you could have looked at, honestly, you could have looked at, let's do $1,000 this year and then $500 next year and then $500 after that. And I kind of brought that out. I, I mean, I asked that question of our people, and the governor was pretty specific about it. He said, no, the reality of it is we promise this. It's important. You know, we have, I think the number is something like 44% of all teachers leave within the first five years or something like that. I mean, it's something absolutely crazy. But he said, you know, we promise this, and we're going to deliver on that. And don't hold me that 44%, but I think that that is right, something like that. But we're going to deliver on that. 
because what happens if things get bad and then we're not able to give that to them? I promised it to them and we're going to try to live up to it. Terry, weigh in. Well, tomorrow's right. We are six months into the fiscal year. We already have a $300 million plus deficit right now. You know, we Looking back at history, I think I think a lot of the reason we're having some of the problems we are is because in 2018, we did pass a tax cut that was predicated on an assumption of a windfall that didn't materialize. And I think we have to be very careful going forward. Do we want to dig that hole even deeper, knowing that we are likely to maybe see a little bit of a recession happening? Again, I think that I, I can see the argument to go ahead and just do the two thousand dollars now. You're, we're going it, it, to we're going to have to figure out eventually how to do this other two thousand dollars that the governor committed. So that's a reasonable thing to. It's a reasonable case to make. I think it's going to be very hard when we get down there and doing the numbers. You know, the speaker said, I think in an interview with you tomorrow. You know, at every what someone thinks is waste is someone else's vital service that's being provided to their community. So next week, I think, is really going to tell us a lot about how this conversation is going to move forward next week, of course, meaning when the appropriations hearings begin. Yeah, well, let's make clear to our listeners that the traditional uh, trajectory of the legislature is you all come into session, do a week of actual session days, and then pause for one week. It's typically the King holiday week for budget hearings. Uh, and all the department heads come in and make their case, plead their cases. One of the things that's interesting about this year, particularly tomorrow, is this is the first shot that lawmakers are going to get to look at what's happening with different agencies. Because when the governor called for 4% cuts in this current uh, year's budget, he specifically, Speaker Ralston said, I want to have budget hearings now so we can let people address this. And the governor specifically told agency heads, do not go in, do not talk to legislators. That didn't make people like Ralston very happy, but they're going to be in a very, so I think they're going to be in a fairly aggressive posture when they start the hearings next exactly. week. Exactly. And you saw the speaker this week <laughs> mentioned the eggs and issues breakfast, yeah. that, that he wasn't going to set an end date because he wanted to get a clear budget, clearer budget picture before he, he did anything I, like Terry, that. Terry, I thought that was a wonderful uh, a maneuver on the part of the speaker. I don't doubt his sincerity. He He knows that budget... When you start looking at cuts, it can become a very complicated process. But at the same time, you all would like to get out of there relatively early because people have re-election campaigns to get to. So the speaker says, well, I'm not sure when we'll end this session until I get a better sense of the budget. It was it was a very clever way to send a message, among other things. Well, he, he sent a message, I think. <laughs> but the actuality of it is, I, I think the, the, the thing that we all need to remember is... There's only one constitutional requirement that we have, and that is to have a balanced budget and to get it done. So, I mean, that's why people sent us. You know, we're not – I'm not going to throw off on Washington, D.C., but we're not running a deficit or doing this or doing that or whatever. But the reality is we have to balance a budget. And so let's take it seriously and let's do what we need to do. I. I realize that I didn't check something uh, before coming in here, and maybe you can help me. I did see the governor released his budget for the next fiscal year this morning. I didn't see what the fis- what he set revenue growth at. Do you know what that number I, I, is? I do not know right off the top because of my head. Because that's going to be interesting either. to see, uh, uh, Terry. It, setting the growth figure has a lot to do with how much money you think you're going to be able to spend in a given year. So I will make sure we know that for and tomorrow's and, show. Know, there's a lot of different things that we're looking at as far as re- revenue coming in and tax collections and you know revenue collections, things like that. One of the things that I think that you have to remember is that we had a special session where we allocated a ton of money to people in South Georgia that the farmers got wiped out. Terry England, the chair of appropriations, and I've had this conversation, and he said, you know, that hampered us right there because a lot of people, I mean, they lost money. They took huge tax losses during that time frame. So that's an impact. So a number of given things that we're going to have to be looking at. There's going to have to be a lot of research done. I'll say that. I, I agree. And actually, referencing Hurricane Michael especially, I still think we're not fully cognizant of what that has done to our economy and how long it is going to impact our economy. That is not over. This from a girl from New Orleans who uh, I know a thing or two about hurricanes. hurricanes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Terry and Ullowitz, speaking of the budget, and then we'll move on to some of the other things that the governor said today. Uh, in, in a way, Democrats in the minority, as you are. I am. You're going to watch the Republicans. It's the Republicans who are going to be the big 
uh, we're going to have the biggest conflict over trying to figure out where to cut and where not to. That You're is yet to observe that unfold. That is true. I'll be popping the popcorn and determining how to best capitalize upon right, this. And I'll be, I'll be sitting in subcommittee hearing, just oh, going over numbers. Yeah, uh, you're you know. going to be one of the busiest men at the state capitol. They're all going to be coming to you, Terry, saying, Terry, please. Save this project in my community. Don't let them take it away from me. And I have the perfect answer for that. I What's come that? back and say, there's a Terry caucus, and this is the one you need to talk to right <laughs> over I'm here. the ranking <laughs> member now. Uh, Tamar Hallerman, um, the, let's talk about another one. of the, First of all, let's talk about this. The governor did say it, they, it was brought up last year. It, it didn't gain the traction in the first year of the biennial session that uh, I think a lot of people had hoped it would. But he made a point of talking about it today. The governor says he wants to address so-called surprise medical billing, which s- simply means I think the easiest way to say that is more transparency in what you're paying for. When you get a hospital bill, you get a big bill for services by a doctor. Um, you, I've, first, two things about that to throw out at you. One, I can imagine that the people of the state will find that an incredibly appealing uh, proposal. And I can imagine that the fierce fights from the hospital association, from other doctor lobbying organizations, is going to be really something to watch to the extent we'll ever get to see any of it. Exactly. And this is a fight that I, I tracked on Capitol Hill as well, and they're dealing with the same issues. And it's, some, you know, everybody involved agrees that it is so wrong that patients are getting these surprise bills of hundreds or thousands of dollars. The problem is nobody can agree what to do with it. Um, so so as you mentioned, you have the doctors facing off against the insurance companies. Um, and, and what was interesting is, is based on what we've seen so far from the legislature, the, this new draft that we've seen the last couple of days, it seems to be leaning a little more toward the insurance companies, don't I have that right? Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. I had a good conversation this morning with uh, Richard Smith, the new chair of rules, and you know this is something that Richard's been working on for five years, and uh, I, I have not seen all the new details. I, I will just say that from a positive standpoint, he said, you know, we had a great meeting um, where the House, the Senate, the Lieutenant Governor, the Governor, we're all involved. I think we're all on the same page, and I think you'll be seeing something good that comes out within the next week or so. I am also optimistic that we are going to pass something that gets the patients out of the middle of this. That's something, whether you're talking to insurance folks, whether you're talking to the <coughs> physician groups, everyone agrees that we've got to remove the patients from this because this is not about the patient. To the extent that they are the ones who are being treated and they're the ones who are being who are opening up these envelopes when they go to their mailbox and are horrified to to get these very high bills – this is something that the doctors and the insurance companies are going to work out, and I think we're going to get there. Really? What does it mean? Let me make sure I understand what Tamar just asked you, that it's the insurance companies that will be the focus of this. Help our, our listeners understand what that means. I have not seen the bill, but from what I'm seeing is it maybe leans maybe a little bit more towards the insurance. Yeah, I think it's closer to what the insurance companies want than what the doctors want. So insurance companies clearly have a, a, a stake in they don't want to get surprise bills either is what we're suggesting here. Yeah. I mean, they're the ones who end up um, in, in many cases paying uh, at a discounted rate, but nevertheless having to pay for this. Is that what we're looking at right I now? think so, and I'm, I'm not the expert right. on our staff on right. this. That's so. fine. But That's the thing fine. about it is it's extremely disruptive. Of course, we all know, you know, as consumers or whatever, when you get a bill in the mail, it's like, what are, where in the world did this come from or whatever? I just kind of went through this at home in my district. Northeast Georgia Medical Center in my district is the huge medical center that treats, you know, all kinds of people or whatever. Well, they got into it with Anthem. Blue Frost, Blue Shield, you know, a lot of state employees, a lot of teachers, a lot of this and that and everything else. And it was out of network, uh, you know, because the, the contract is up. And they're At fighting. the same hospital yep. sometimes yep. you're yep. getting treated and yep. maybe your radiologist yep. or your anesthesiologist yep. is out of network. Um, how frustrating is that? And in the meantime, you're you're waiting for people to strike a compromise. And that means patients. All right, and, still, and, and what yeah. it did, what it did in that case too, is the fact that open enrollment was happening during that time. I want to take a break because uh, we have an awful lot more to talk about. We need to get a break out of the way. Let's do that right now. We'll be back with more on Political Rewind. GPB's vehicle donation program provides an easy, convenient way to support public radio for you and your community. We'll even pick up that car, truck, or SUV you've been wanting to get rid of for free. Give us a call, 
877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org slash cars. We truly appreciate supporters like you. And thanks. Support for GPB comes from generous listeners like you. And Georgia Public Library Service, a unit of the University System of Georgia, the Pines Card, gives access to 11 million library materials that can be delivered free to a local library anywhere in Georgia. georgialibraries.org slash pines. GPB has been recognized by the Georgia Associated Press Media Editors for Best Newscast and Best Website. We were also honored for our staff coverage of Hurricane Michael. GPB News. Stand with the facts. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Representatives Terry Rogers and Terry Anulowitz, Republican Rogers, Democrat Anulowitz, and Tamar Hallerman of the AJC. We all kidded about how first I said it was T squared, two Terry's. You all pointed out it's three of you. It's T-cute. three T's on today's T-cute. show. T-cute. <laughs> right. uh, so we're talking about uh, the governor's speech this morning. Uh, Terry Anulowitz, I said during the break that unfortunately the, the uh, uh, Democratic response is literally taking place, probably just ended. It started at 2 o'clock. Senator Steve Henson, uh, the minority leader in the Senate, gave the remarks. We're not going to be able to talk about them until tomorrow's show, but we will certainly do that. But, but Terry, let me just ask you for your individual now. You're not representing your caucus. Your individual thoughts about what you heard from the governor today. My Speaking only for myself, my initial reaction was when he started talking about how he is, you know, a governor who who values life. And I, I sort of expected that, and that's fine. And he talked about, you know, the, the, the babies in the womb and the babies who were born. And I thought that he was ramping up for a segue into talking about what we were going to be doing to address the maternal mortality crisis in Georgia but I never heard that. And I was a little bit surprised that given the fact that we had the study committee that met, we've had the report that came out pretty recently. We know that that I, mean, I think everyone agrees that we ha- have some serious issues with maternal with our maternal mortality rate in Georgia, that in talking about all the babies, there was no talk about the mamas and about the women who are giving birth to these babies. And I think that that's a really important thing that we need to consider. And I was disappointed that I didn't hear any of that in the speech. Terry Rogers, we're, you know, you, the speaker has said he wishes, right? He told you this tomorrow, that he'd like to see something done on that, because we should say Terry Rogers, uh, Sharon Cooper is pushing now pretty hard uh, to find funding to help with maternal mortality crisis. But um, what we're hearing in response from most leaders is this isn't the budget year to do it. You know, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't have the answer to that. Both my pay grade, but I will tell you that, you know, I, I've seen the numbers and I know where Georgia ranks and it's it's a shame. We need to address it and, and, and hopefully we can make some sort of start. Tomorrow? Yeah, and just to paint the picture a little bit, the U.S. is at the bottom of developed countries in terms of the mortality yeah. rate and, and or maternal mortality rate, and Georgia is at the bottom within the U.S. And the key recommendation from this House uh, study committee earlier this month was to expand Medicaid for, for new mothers. Right now it's at about 60 days, and it would expand that to one year after one year. birth. And the issue is that the cost estimates for what that would mean up to $70 million. And as we were mentioning earlier, you know, in a tight budget year, you've got to balance the budget and revenues are going to be lower. That can be a lot of money. I talked to, to the speaker about this the other day, and he mentioned while it's something he, he really wants to address, he, he was nervous about the climate and, and being able to find the money. Yeah. Uh, what What's important in, in that conversation is the fact that people may think this is we're talking about deaths in childbirth, which does happen. But it, it is also um, ongoing problems that mothers face uh, in the months following giving birth. Uh, and, and so that's why the notion of extending Medicaid for a year uh, makes, at least that puts it in a context. Sharon Cooper did, I think, say, if I, if I can get six months, I'll take that. I'll take anything. So we're going to watch to see whether anything happens on that. One of the things I think is important mm-hmm. in, in defense of what the speaker said, I mean, you know, look, there's there's no denying it. This is going to be a tough budget battle. And there's a lot of uncertainty out there right now regarding the budget. I wish I could wave a magic wand and say, hey, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. We're going to be out by March 28th. But yeah. it's just, you know, it's there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And I think the speaker and, and the governor both are, are, are saying, 
there are some things that we need to look at. The, the, the real process will start next week. Yeah, the fact that we just wrapped up day four, and we are already talking about this in terms of it being a budget battle and not a budget discussion or you know budget evaluation. We're we're headed into battle. I mean, I think you're going to see a full court press mm. next next week in those appropriation rooms in terms of you know just how many folks are there from the house. You know, we had to be reminded today. I'm not on the appropriations committee. Terry Rogers is. You know. Um, Terry England, who chairs the committee, said, look, we want everyone to come, but please just make sure you save seats for the people who are on the committee. That's how many. The room is big, but it's not that big. And so this is going to be a very interesting thing to watch unfold next Uh, week. Terry, you expected when the governor started talking about valuing life, you thought it was going to be maternal mortality. What he talked about instead was how to protect uh, babies who have already been born. He has a couple of proposals for adoption and foster care. His one of his adoption, two adoption proposals that he mentioned today. Number one uh, is to increase the tax credit for people who adopt from two thousand dollars a year to six thousand mm-hmm, dollars a year. To triple that credit. Triple the credit, uh, and then he wants to lower the age at which appropriate parents can adopt to twenty-one. Um, so two questions about that. Uh, number one, I don't know what the fiscal note's going to look like when you increase the adoption uh, fee from two to 6000 triple it. But here's another expenditure going against a tough budget year. That is right. The 21 was interesting to me and what came to my mind, and I have not been involved well, yeah, in it. Yeah, that's the other. These, 21 yeah. years old. That really, that struck me. How many 21-year-olds are really ready to raise children like Well, what, ca- what came to my mind was family members, like cousins, mm. older siblings. That's immediately what came to my mind when he talked about 21. And I think that if, if you want to help keep families together, I think having older siblings or cousins, letting them be able to adopt, I think that, that that's something that is probably – Merits some it probably merits some discussion. Interesting. Yeah, but, but, that was. But I, I don't know if that's what he meant. But my, I didn't. I didn't think this was like twenty-one year olds thinking, "Gee, I would love to adopt a baby." I thought it would more making it easier for for family situations. Okay, but tomorrow we already know that when you try to change it, uh, anything to do with adoption, you open a can of worms. You've got very conservative uh, groups out there who would love to insert language in any effort at reforming adoption, would love to insert anti-LGBT language saying, you know, preventing LGBTQ uh, uh, individuals from adopting. And in last session, it really, uh, we really saw that this could be a stumbling block to prevent all this from happening. Yeah, there's definitely fears in the LGBT community that we could have a reprise of the fight that we had in 2018. Uh, I believe it was 2018, yeah, over over the adoption legislation. And that would be language that would, would allow religious charities to block gay couples from adopting if that was against their, their religious beliefs. And yeah. so, you know, proponents are saying, um, you know, we want to open as many avenues as we can for adoptions. If there are religious charities that won't come to Georgia because this isn't already in the law, we think this is helpful. But then there are, are lots of opponents who are saying, no, 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 this is terrible. You're turning away potential adopted families. Jerry Rogers? I want to fall back on the age thing or the 21. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very sad thing. I've seen some 21-year-olds who act like they're 12, yeah. some of which are in the legislature, by the way, but anyway, no, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But then I've, I've seen some 21-year-olds that have like a 50-year-old soul yeah. because sure. they have been through sure. so much. And usually these are the ones who want to keep their siblings together. Right. And as far as the other aspects of it, you know, um, I, I'd, I'd like to see a clean bill. I, I mean, I'd like to see a clean bill. Let's just keep the kids to the first, to the front, and the forefront. Um, you know, we waited. We have waited too long to do something. People don't realize this. We, we a couple of years ago was it last year, Terry, or the year before that we did the adoption stuff with with Bert Reeves. Two years ago, two eighteen. Years, yeah, two years ago we did that. What people don't realize that was probably the first significant thing that we've done in adoption since. Yeah. A young state senator from Hall County by the name of Nathan Deal yeah. took on that issue. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's ridiculous. We're so far out of line. And I, I commend the governor for looking at the thing and saying, you know what? We could talk about the gangs, 70,000 gang members. We can talk about the human trafficking, the, all these uh, all the kids being trafficked. We can talk about this. We can talk about that. But it's going to put a burden on trying to get these people into good homes yeah. and trying to do some things there. And, and adoption is one way to look at it. I think we just heard an important uh, comment by uh, uh, one of the governor's floor leaders, a clean 
bill, which of course means none of this LGBTQ uh, language would be in it. And I'll bet you Terry Rogers reflects what the governor thinks about that. No, right Terry now Rogers too. is speaking as a representative. He himself and I have not had the oh, conversation you, with the don't governor. Don't you imagine governor? the governor wants to get this through without having the, all I that think controversy? The, I think the governor. Oh, I think the governor would like to get a lot of things through without having a lot of controversy. <laughs> fair, fair. But enough. I'll say, I'll say this. You know, I mean, um, what you see is what you get with Brian Kemp. That's just that's just the way it is, and and you know I think he probably when he talked about these things he realized that uh, you know there's there's a possibility of this or whatever, but uh, you know he's been pretty clear on some things. All right, let me let me take on another thing uh, that I thought was one of the <clears throat> excuse me fine moments of the speech today. Tamar, Johnny Isaacson was invited not to sit in the gallery. I mean, the former governor and his wife were in the gallery, as were members of the Counselor Corps and whatever. Uh, Johnny Isaacson was invited to sit on the floor, on the floor of a house that he once rep- uh, where he once worked as a, a member of the House. And the Republican leader. And the Republican, at, at a time when, <laughs> when there were like 12 when of being them. a Republican yeah. <laughs> leader meant like one of, you know, a handful of people. But, 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 but the governor did more than just um, recognize him. He made a proposal that the University of Georgia would establish a research position to look at uh, how to advance work on Parkinson's disease. That's a very powerful way to honor a guy who most people in this state think has been an exemplary public servant. Yeah, of course. And Senator Isaacson announced in 2015 that he was suffering from yeah. the disease. And, um, you know, for years he was managing it on Capitol Hill, but it just became too much for him. And because of complications due to that, that was why he ultimately stepped down at the end of last year. And, you know, when he did that, he said he wanted to make finding a cure for Parkinson's the cause of his life, his his post-congressional life. And, and it is a nice gesture to see that. He obviously loves UGA so much. He's an alum of, of UGA and talks about it all the time. And Inside baseball on that town. Yeah. Uh, I I asked the question, um, did he know about this beforehand? I wondered the same thing he during did, the speech. He did not. Really? He didn't. Oh, that's he did, so he nice. Did, he did not know about this. And and, <sighs> and I shouldn't have I, – I, I, I had really no reason to ask the question because I'm sitting there, and when they announced it, Stephanie Jones, who was a longtime aide to um, Senator Isaacson, was sitting there next to him. She, she goes everywhere with him, I mean – just, she's just a, a wonderful person and, 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 and everything. But I looked over there, and when they made the announcement, Stephanie's eyes went up, and all of a sudden tears just started yeah. bursting out, flowing from her. And I, I, Chris Carr, his former chief of staff, told me, he said, I was up there biting my lips saying, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. But, I mean, I don't, I, you know, I, I, first of all, Johnny Isaacson, what a fine man. And, 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 and one of the greatest moments of the whole thing was when he got up from his chair and turned around and walked back towards Calvin Smyrie and shook hands in yep. the aisle. And I thought, wow. Calvin wow. Smyrie, longest-serving member of the General Assembly, African-American leader, had as much impact on the General Assembly as any other leader of that body over the decades. You know, and it was sort of – it was almost like a full turnaround. Yeah. Um, and, and, and now that we know some of the history behind some things, too, I mean, he gets up from his chair to make the effort, and, 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 and Dean Smyrie comes over, and, and, and they shake hands, and you could just see the affection and, and how they had worked together and things like that. Very, very reminiscent when Senator Isaacson was being honored on the floor of the Senate the last day, and, and, and Congressman Lewis comes yeah, across same, there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and... and, and, and that's that's another thing right there. Prayers for Congressman Lewis. Terry Nolowitz, people who were listening to or watching on our air, the governor's state of the state, uh, state speech, heard a funny open mic moment as soon as the governor got to that line in the speech and said, this is what we want to do. And there was you were all applauding pretty vigorously. There was a long pause. It was for a that. very long. Sure. Pause. And we applause. because the mics are open. We were able to hear the speaker, uh, the, the governor, turn to the speaker who was standing next to him and say, now we just got to figure out a way to do it. <laughs> Which well, was a I great think, I moment. Think he was talk, I think he was talking about 
finding the cure. Oh, I think he was talking about finding a way to come up with the money for the position. Now we've got a. I, I think you could probably take that quote and stitch it on a pillow and have it be the mantra for the, the General Assembly for the rest of this session. Yeah. Put right, in the Appropriations Committee exactly. room. Yeah. Exactly. Let's, let's do this. Let's get our last break of the show out of the way, and we will be back with our final segment of Political Rewind. On the next Fresh Air, secret documents written by Iranian intelligence officers leaked to the news organization The Intercept. They reveal how Iranian General Qasem Soleimani operated in Iraq like the Godfather and how Iran came to dominate Iraqi politics. We'll talk with Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter James Risen. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 right here on GPB. You can listen live at gpbnews.org. Support for GPB comes from you, our listeners. And Cigna, urging people to take control of stress by having a plan, a period of time to unwind, a location to de-stress, an activity to enjoy, and a name of somebody to talk to. Cigna, together all the way. Learn more at Cigna.com slash take control. And UGA College of Agricultural and Environmental Sciences, coordinating the Flavor of Georgia contest for the state's craft food and beverage product industry. Registration for the 14th annual event is available at flavorofga.com. Welcome back uh, to the final segment of today's Political Rewind. Um, Terry Rogers, Terry Anulowitz, and Tamar Hallerman are all here in the studio. We spent a good part of the show talking about the governor's state of the state speech uh, because it will drive a good portion of the agenda in the uh, days ahead, the 36 days still left. Today was the fourth day of the session. 36 more days to go. Uh, But Tamar Hallerman, you had a sit-down with uh, Speaker Ralston, this past week, we've already mentioned a couple elements of it, but uh, tell us about what else struck you in your conversation with the speaker. Yeah, I threw in a question right at the end. I was there to talk about something else for an upcoming story, but I, I threw in a question about the Equal Rights Amendment. And, you know, Virginia that day or, or the next day was slated with, with now their, their full set of female leaders, including the first uh, female speaker in, in Virginia history, to approve the Equal Rights Amendment, which would make them the 38th state to approve it. And to get an amendment to the Constitution, you need three quarters of states. So years and years after the effort ended, you finally got your 38th state. So anyways, I asked him if Georgia was going to join as well and and take that up. And there were certainly Democrats in the legislature who have been pushing for that. And he said that Georgia probably doesn't need it. He he said he doesn't see much of an appetite for it um, in the legislature. And he warned about unintended consequences. He also did he not give you a quote in which he said, I think women have done pretty, pretty well, pretty well without it. And he mentioned he mentioned, you know, women who are serving in the legislature, making it up to high positions of power. And he also mentioned federal laws that he thinks does enough to protect. Uh, So we we also should say and I'll be glad to have the our two representatives on the panel weigh in in this. But we should also say that uh, in in some ways this could be at this stage more than anything else, a symbolic gesture since the deadline has long since passed for states to ratify the amendment and put it into the U.S. Constitution. Exactly. Congress initially set a deadline of 1982 to show you how long they've been (laughs) fighting over this issue. Obviously, we are long since passed. So before you were born tomorrow or close. (laughs) Yes. Um, And so now it it becomes a whole court battle and and whether, you know, the— Proponents are trying to say that Congress didn't properly verify or, or, you know, cross their T's and dot their I's. You know, there's a lot of difference between what someone says in conversation and how it appears on the page. So I want to ask you, I think, says the speaker, women have done pretty well without that. You know, some Terry Nolowitz, what do you think when you hear that particular phrasing? He wasn't being demeaning, was he? Or he? I really don't think he was. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Speaker Ralston. Yeah. And I I really don't I, – I, I don't – I hope that that was not the intent because it, when you re- read it, it almost sounds glib. And I don't think that was the intent no. at all. And, and I – you know, I, I think that, you know, whether or not there's an appetite to – for the Georgia legislature to ap- ratify the ERA – 
I haven't heard a ton about it. I don't get a lot of emails from constituents about it. I do get a few. But I think that if we want to go ahead and show how much we do value women in the state of Georgia, I think that takes us back to that conversation about women's health care and maternal mortality and how we can make this a healthier state to be a mother and a healthier state to be a woman. And I think that, you know, we can talk about getting more women into statewide offices. I think that would really, truly be a determinant of how far women have come and, and have we done well enough. You know, we have Kelly Loeffler now in statewide office. She hasn't been elected to statewide office yet, though. Um, partly, I brought that up because I want to tell people they can go to your website, AJC.com, and find that whole interview. That was just an excuse to get them to go read your conversation. <laughs> One last thing. Let's go back to the legislature because we're quickly running out of time. Terry Rogers, it appears that this morning before the governor's speech, or maybe it happened yesterday, that uh, the Senate and the House have come close to an agreement on uh, enforcing the sales tax for internet uh, sales, people that sell over the internet. And apparently the way the language is, is going to come down, it will include Uber and Lyft, the ride-sharing services, Airbnb. And I think you mentioned earlier, tomorrow. there's a bonanza of money to be made on that, I assume. But the question is really enforcing it and, and, and what it'll mean for online sales. Yeah, matter of fact, before we came over here, we voted on that. Yeah. We, we, we voted the agree on that. So um be interesting to see, you know, the enforcement aspect of it. And or let me just say this. Um, your interview with the speaker from an inside insider's perspective, when the speaker says, you know, I don't think there's much of an appetite for that. I'd always interpret that to be, no, this one's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. That seems about right. Um, it, the, the, the sales tax will, of course, come down to consumers. Right. We're the ones who will pay for it. Um, but it's a legitimate avenue, I assume, for collecting revenue, yes? It is, and it's something that we, you know, we, we do need to do. I mean, I think that this is by no means going to fill the hole that needs to be filled. But I, you know, it, it's, I think it's reasonable to have this conversation that many other states have done that's been talked about at state levels, federal levels. It makes sense that we do something like this. Okay. You know, what, can I throw one, sure. one, one just quick thing in on this, too? You know, we, we talk about being the number one state in the nation for business. We have been for seven straight years. You know, Governor Kemp, when he came in, said, this is great. We want to be the number one state in the nation for business. But we now we, let's kind of change focus a little bit. We want to be the number one state in the nation for small business, a lot of retail, things like that. You know, I represent a rural area. Yeah. Uh, you know, Helen is right there in my area, a lot of tourism, a lot of this, a lot of that or whatever. You know, it's kind of hard to go in and to talk to a retail merchant in a small town that's on a square that's fighting like crazy to stay alive when they're having to collect tax and somebody can order it from somewhere else yeah. and not pay the tax. Yeah, I'm so we're sure leveling the playing right. field. Yeah. All right. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch how that uh, unfolds. Um, we're just about out of time for today's show. Just to look ahead a little bit, um, uh, Tom Faust just sent me a note to uh, remind me basically what, Tamar, you've been talking about, because, because senators have got to be in attendance at the trial uh, at all times, it's going to have a big impact on Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar. As well as Kelly Leffler. And, yeah, that's right. That's Kelly right. Leffler's going to be stuck there. She won't be able to get around and the state of Georgia. And talk about six days a week in there. So that includes Saturdays when lawmakers would normally, and usually they're they're back home by Friday also. So those are two days a week where she can't be campaigning. Okay. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a, one of the topics we will uh, pick up on and do a little more with on tomorrow's show um, when Jim Galloway, Eric Tannenblatt, Beth Shapiro, and Cesar Mitchell will be joining us for our show, which will air tomorrow at 2 and we'll be on TV and GPB television tomorrow night at 7 as well. Uh, in the meantime, thank you all for a really terrific conversation today. Thank you for listening to us today. I'm Bill Nygut. See you again tomorrow for the final Political Rewind of the week at 2 o'clock.